everybody. Welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and alongside me today is Big E, aka Ethan Tate, aka clearly somebody who needs to be calling plays for this Memphis Tigers offense because they are letting me down in the second half. How you doing today, Ethan? Luckily, as far as life stuff, I'm doing cool. You know, Extreme Rules was fun, and the Bengals game was pretty fun too. So, highly recommend anybody who hasn't caught an NFL game. That was my first, well, first regular season one. I've been to a preseason one, but, you know, those don't count. But, no, highly recommend it. It was a lot of fun, and Joey B balled out. So, long as Joe Burrow balls out, Jamar Chase had a good game too. I'm good. And we also got a good show for you guys today. We are going to talk the 2020 uh, playoff teams who are one and two, which ones should be panicking? Which ones are perfectly fine? We're going to look at the NBA. So we're going to talk about Michael Porter Jr.'s newly signed max contract. Was he worth it? Did they overpay? And then we're going to look at the city of Philadelphia as a sports town. Is that really a desirable place to play? But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So as we kick off every show, let's start this off with the college football player spotlight. And we are going to show some love to the trenches, particularly offensive linemen. This week's college football player spotlight is on Alabama offensive tackle Evan Neal, who is presently playing against Ole Miss right now. He's regarded as the nation's top offensive tackle and it in one of those rare players where he's a great run blocker as well as a great pass blocker, expected to be the first offensive lineman off the board. Ethan, what team do you think should make a, him a priority? Uh, I am going to say the Pittsburgh Steelers. We know that this is, big, this is more than likely Big Ben's last year as a quarterback for the Steelers. We also have seen that they haven't had that great of an offense during this season, but I think one of the things that they could potentially do for whatever option they decide as a quarterback of the future is they can help fortify the offensive line. Pittsburgh has always been a place that's known for having a good offensive line. This year is one of those rare years where their offensive line has actually so far. So I think they should bring them, bring them to the Steel City. That would make a lot of sense. The only thing is I'm not sure if he'll be I, I know the Steelers are slumping right now, but I don't I think that he's gonna go much higher than the Steelers will be able to get him for. So for a team that right now does not have any wins, I'm gonna say the Jacksonville Jaguars. In watching Thursday's game, we really saw that Trevor Lawrence can play. I mean, he's not the reason why they lost that game. Really, it's just you got to be able to protect. And that's been a problem for much of this season. Another team is that I almost said is who they played on Thursday, the Cincinnati Bengals, because we all know their offensive line is hot garbage. But I would say Jacksonville, mainly just because with Trevor Lawrence, you really got to kind of build from within and kind of work your way up. The best way to do that is make sure your quarterback has plenty of time to throw. And while their offensive line right now is not terrible, you can never have too many good offensive linemen. But all right, let's take things back and look at week three around the NFL. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. 
The Houston Texans were defeated by the Carolina Panthers 24-9. The Baltimore Ravens and Justin Tucker made history against the Detroit Lions, kicking a game-winning 66-yard field goal. And I'm going to tell you, like I told Ethan and everybody else who would listen, this game should not have come down to a field goal, but I'll get to that later. Uh, the Seattle Seahawks were upset by the Minnesota Vikings 30-17. The Atlanta Falcons are no longer winless after beating the Giants 17-14. The New Orleans Saints beat the Patriots 28-13. Bengals upset Steelers 24-10. Titans beat Colts 25-16. Uh, Bills beat up on Washington 43-21. The Chargers beat the Chiefs in an AFC. AFC West Showdown, 30-24. Arizona Cardinals held on to beat the Jags, 31-19. Browns embarrassed the Bears, 26-6. Broncos shut out Jets, 26-0. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders beat the Dolphins in overtime, 31-28. Rams beat Bucks, 34-24. And in Sunday Night Football, Green Bay Packers beat the 49ers 30-28. Monday Night Football, the Eagles get embarrassed in prime time. After, of course, Eli Manning put up two middle fingers, 41-21 uh, against the Cowboys. I finished the week 10-5. and five. Ethan came next 8-7. and seven. Here's some of the biggest injury news of the week, starting with the Broncos, who low-key have been hit with the injury bug as well. Wide receiver KJ Hambler is out for the season with the torn ACL. Giants linebacker Blake Martinez is out for the season with the torn ACL. Running back for the Patriots, James White, is out for the season with the torn ACL. Safety Marcus May for the Jets is out for the next three to four weeks with an ankle injury. Saints lose left tackle Teron Armstead for the next several weeks with an elbow injury. And then the Carolina Panthers lose two big players. First of which, uh, Christian McCaffrey is going to be out for the next few weeks with a hamstring injury. His return is TBD. And rookie cornerback J.C. Horn is out for the next two to three months for broken bones in his foot. So I'm going to ask a question. And on the surface, it sounds easy. But which player is the bigger loss for the Panthers? J.C. Horn or Christian McCaffrey? Um. I'm going to go to a not-so-obvious answer. I'm going to go to J.C. Horn simply because, yes, we know that the Carolina Panthers and Christian McCaffrey, they're, they're an amazing pairing. But I think one of the things Chiefs has said for the Panthers this past, this, during this season, to their own surprise and start, has been their defense. I think that if Sam Darnold is still capable of playing at the level that he's been playing, they have weapons on the outside that they can use. So I think it, I think the hurt on the defense could be a bigger blow just simply because I think their team kind of does allow their defense a little bit more than their offense. And I would agree with that, especially because J.C. Horn was drafted with the intention of being a starting outside corner, and he'd done a really uh, solid job of doing that. And not to mention, his injury is longer. Whereas with Christian McCaffrey, he'll be able to come back sooner. And plus, I mean, this is why you drafted Chuba Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard, I'm sorry, out of Oklahoma State. I mean, we know he's a back who was used to a lot of touches and carrying a lot of weight. Well, this is his opportunity to do that. And like you mentioned, with the weapons that they have on the outside, such as a DJ Moore, who's having a really good year, I think that that could really not only showcase how good this offense can be, but also what Sam Darnold can be given the right weapon. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I think that J.C. Horn is admittedly the bigger loss. All right, Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this week of action? Top three takeaways are the Detroit Lions are going to be the Detroit Lions. 
like, I understand you love it because you're a Raiders fan, but you gave up a fourth and nineteen and lost the game. Like, there's no way possible that should happen. Um, number two, I think that the Green Bay Packers might have actually found their stride. I don't see them being a dominant team where they blow teams out, but I think they're going to be one of those teams that, because of their offense, they're going to always be able to stay in games, and Aaron Rodgers is going to make plays at the end of games. And number three, well, it was a rough week for rookie quarterbacks. It's been a rough week. One and two, excluding this week, by week through week three, I think starting quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks are one and ten, and Mac Jones is like the one win against the Jets. It has been ugly, and it doesn't get any uglier than Justin Fields. Well, at least his rookie debut was rough. That's one of the roughest rookie debuts, and it's not all his fault. But we'll definitely get to that one. All right, as we all know, uh, my takeaways can be found on the X Report. I give takeaways for every team, every game. You can just head over and check that out. But let's go ahead and talk the players we are most impressed by, disappointed by, and our rookie of the week. Um, starting for me, I was honest. This may sound like kind of a shock, but I was most impressed by Devontae Adams. Not because we know that he's a great receiver, not because – he put up a whole bunch of yards against the 49ers, as he should have, but because he took a hell of a hit in that fourth quarter. And the fact that he was actually able to come back into that game and not only come back but make a play that helped set them up for the game-winning field goal was astounding to me. I don't know if I would have put him back in the game, but the way that he was able to come back, I was really impressed by that. Oh, for me... I am going to say quarterback Ryan Tannehill. I know that me and you had a conversation off air, and you said Tannehill might get benched on your fantasy team. But I think just given the fact that both of his star wide receivers ended up not playing the rest of the remainder of the game, and him throwing two interceptions and being able to overcome that and lead the Titans to a victory, I got to go with the Tannehill. That's that's fair. He might not get benched this week because they play the Jets, but even still, it was he's very frustrating. Even though, believe it or not, even he had more fantasy points than uh, Joe Burrow did last week. But even though Joe Burrow had a much cleaner game. All right, in terms of disappointment, I said I was going to come back to it, and now it's that time. I'm disappointed in Ravens wide receiver Marquise Hollywood Brown. Bro, we have been having such a good year. It seemed that those issues with drops were a thing in the past, but you gonna drop three touchdowns in one freaking game? Like, even if he would have caught one of them, this game wouldn't have been as close as it was, but you gonna drop three against the Lions? And the balls were literally on the money. It wasn't like Lamar was scrambling and just kind of threw it off his back foot. Like, they were perfect balls, and he just dropped them. You cannot drop three Freaking touchdowns. Had this not been the Lions, we would have lost this game. Um, who am I most disappointed in? I'm not going to lie. I'm most disappointed in the Chicago Bears offense simply because I feel like they didn't have any creativity in their offense. You bring in a young, a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields who has amazing athleticism and shows that he can make throws outside of the pocket, but you don't call really any bootleg plays. You don't 
call any plays to give him simple completions that can build his confidence. And he let this man get sacked nine times. I gotta go with this. Which is totally understandable. My rookie of the week. I could have went Jamar, Jamar Chase again, but I'm going to give some credit to another AFC North rookie, and I'm going to say Najee Harris. I mean, it was a really rough game for the Steelers' offense, but Najee had a good showing, had over 140 yards for scrimmage, led the team in receiving yards. I mean, he did a lot of the dirty work. While it seemed like his offensive line was not blocking for the pass game, for the run game, they did enough, and he had a really solid game and honestly was the only bright spot on that Steelers' offense. I'm going with everybody back with Jamar Chase simply because he's been saving my wide receiver core in one of my fantasy leagues. I feel that. I benched uh I'm I'll bench Julio this before they officially said he was out. And then I still got Mike Evans to play. And I had DJ Chart because I still don't trust Brandon Ayuk, but then DJ Chart got hurt, so I hope he's okay. I pretty much he's out for the season, but I hope he comes back even better. But all right, let's talk league news. Starting off with some congratulations to Shady McCoy, a.k.a. LaShawn McCoy, who announced his retirement earlier this week. And his career has rushed for over 11,000 yards, has 89 total touchdowns, two-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler. For younger, new uh, football fans, you probably haven't seen Shady in his prom, but when he was in his prom, he was a bad, bad man. Ethan, in your opinion, if we're talking running backs of the last, let's say, 15 years, where would you put Shady? I would say lower half of the top 10. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the his biggest thing was injuries. Injuries started to bite him, but when he played, he really was a difference maker in the offense, not just for Philly, but also in his first few years with the Bills. I know his last two cents, like with the uh, Bucks and the Chiefs, really were just – he was just kind of there. But when he actually played, he was an astounding player. And he had a hell of a career. Plus, you can say he won two Super Bowls without really having to do much. I mean – it don't really get much better than that. Speaking of Super Bowls, some Super Bowl champs in recent years made some signings. First of which, the Josh Gordon uh, signing by the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Right now, he's on the practice squad, but don't worry. He'll probably be on the active roster sooner rather than later. We talked about it last week, and now it was confirmed. Richard Sherman is officially a Tampa Bay Buccaneer, signing a one-year, $2.5 million deal with them as well as the uh, Panthers making a trade. As I mentioned earlier, uh, we both agreed that losing J.C. Horn was a big loss for Carolina, and they made moves to try to uh, circumvent that. That move being trading for former first-round pick C.J. Henderson from the Jacksonville Jaguars and a 2022 second-round pick, I mean fifth-round pick, uh, and then they sent Carolina, I mean Jacksonville, tight end Dan Arnold as well as a third-round pick. So kind of talking, going back to the Josh Gordon thing, how long do you think it will be before he steps onto the field, and what kind of impact do you think he's going to have? Uh, i say I wouldn't be surprised if he stepped on the field in like a week or two, just simply because I think the Chiefs, they want to see where he's at physically. Obviously, he has to get acclimated to the playbook, but he's a talented guy. I don't know. It's hard to say what kind of impact he's going to make because I don't think he's going to step on the, on the field and go and be like the instantaneous wide receiver to, to 
football in a long time just because of um, suspensions. And But he's an athletic freak. Like, I remember when he played for the Browns, and he was a beast. I remember when they had him in Seattle for a couple of years. He made a couple plays, but he never really, like, strung anything together. So, I don't know. I think with regards to Josh Gordon, it's just a matter of can you trust him? And that's a question that really has not been able to be answered in since he's been in the league. I mean, this is what, his fifth or sixth, maybe seventh time getting reinstated? Like, that's a very frustrating thing, especially for someone who is as young and as talented as him. Like you mentioned, when he was with the Browns, he was the best part of their offense, not named Joe Thomas. And he really showed that he could be a superstar. So it's kind of weird to gauge what he'll be with the Chiefs. In terms of talent, I would say he's... I you know what? No, nah, I won't put him over Miko Hartman. I say he's easily their third best wide receiver. I would take him over uh Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson. And I think that if he does kind of knock off that rust and is a quick learner with the playbook, I could see him seeing significant action for the team. But more most importantly, he's gotta be able to keep his head on straight and prove that he wants to be in the NFL and is not going to make dumb decisions and dumb mistakes that cost him that opportunity. But speaking of NFL, the September Players of the Month were just announced earlier this week. And here they are, starting with the AFC. Um, Derek Carr was named the AFC's Offensive Player of the Month, while Von Miller got AFC Defensive Honors. In the NFC, Cooper Cup, wide receiver for the Rams, was named the NFC's Offensive Player. And Trayvon Diggs, in a bit of a shock, was named the NFC's Defensive Player. Um, In terms of rookies, it's not that much of a surprise. Uh, Jamar Chase was named the rookie offensive rookie of the month, while Asante Samuel was named the defensive rookie of the month. Ethan, of the players listed, are there any that you would change? No. I know the Tredavious White, that was, that's the most shocking, but if you think about it, he's had a, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's had an interception in every game that the Cowboys played, and he's played solid coverage. So, I wouldn't take anybody's name off, honestly. Yeah, nah. I I can I understand the argument for Trayvon Diggs, but I don't know. I still don't necessarily find him to be the most impressive defensive player. Um, I think that it helps the defense that he plays on, especially considering how bad it is, and it creates a lot of opportunities for him. But if it were up to me, I would actually go the route of Daniil Hunter, defensive end for Minnesota. I mean, he's also been on the tear this season, has four sacks, four tackles for loss, three quarterback hurries. I mean, since he's come back from his injury, he's been somebody who has been almost impossible to stop. So, yeah, I I couldn't go Trevon Diggs, but I can definitely understand the argument for it. All right, but let's go ahead and play a little bit of a game of overreacting and let's look at some playoff teams who are currently who are playoff teams a year ago and are one and two now. Starting with the Pittsburgh Steelers, who honestly they look bad, and it's it's showing on everyone's face. In fact, wide receiver for the Bengals uh, made note of it. Seemed like the Pittsburgh Steelers had given up, saying the last plays of the game they gave up. You can see that for a team to lay down like that, we're not giving up. They portrayed to the whole nation to go in there and bully them. Um, in response, their head coach, Mike Tomlin, said he doesn't care about anything that Tyler Boyd says. But realistically, are you overreacting about the Steelers being one and two? Or do you think they're going to be able to bounce back and still be a playoff team this year? Uh, 
Case in point, when they played the Bills and that whole streak went out the window. Yeah, I I have a hard time counting out the Steelers just because, I mean, I'm a Baltimore fan, so I see them up close and personal many times. And while I'm not inspired by what I've seen this year, and I, I right now I can't say I see them in the playoffs, but I think they, they're going to be start being more competitive. But in terms of just being in the playoffs, I can't. I don't I don't see it. All right, but let's talk to Seattle Seahawks, who are also one and two. And it's crazy because right now Russell Wilson leads the league in passer rating, which really shouldn't be that surprising. However, their defense gives up the most yards in the NFL as of right now. Are you worried about the Seahawks or will they be able to make it to the playoffs this season? I don't think they will simply because one, in my opinion, they're in the toughest division right now given the fact that the Rams look like a legit Super Bowl contender. The 49ers are a good playoff team. And even though the Cardinals, they had a, I think they had a hiccup this past week, but they look like a team that could potentially sneak in and make the playoffs. And also the NFC is just way, in my opinion, is way tougher than the AFC. So I don't think if they don't, Right the court soon, I don't see Seattle making the playoffs either. I think Seattle will make it. Um, I'll be the first to say I'm not on the 49ers bandwagon. I think that they still have some fundamental issues, particularly in that secondary, to work out before I really will take them that seriously. Um, I think that they were able to really have success against the Packers defense because their defense is bad. And I think that when they go up against other teams like the Rams, I don't think they're going to have the same success. Um, with regards to the Cardinals, it's kind of weird with the Cardinals. They definitely had their hiccups this past uh, Sunday, but they still have that potential. And it's like I, I trust Russell Wilson too much. And I think that because of what we've seen from Russ have quarter, I mean, MVP caliber like play, but his defense letting them down. I hate to say it, but this isn't the first time this has happened, and I don't think it's going to be the last time. Uh, we saw last year that, like, the defense had really struggled for much of the year, and then they kind of tightened up as the year went on. I think that they really need to start making some defensive adjustments, first of which being putting benching Trey Flowers or at least finding a new quarterback one because right now he's clearly not it. But I think that the, in the end they're going to find a way to get it together, even if that is in the wild card. But I'm not too worried about them right now. But then, of course, we got to talk about the AFC representative in the Super Bowl, the Kansas City Chiefs, who for the first time since 2015 have a record below 500. Are you worried about the Chiefs? I'm not worried about the Chiefs, but I do think that they have some things that they need to look at. I think that um, the league has started is starting to catch up with Patrick Mahomes and his freestyle play. I think he has to be more calculated, kind of more like a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers. More so like Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers is a guy, he can make calculated plays, but he's also really adept at making the off-schedule freestyle plays. I think a lot of Patrick Mahomes' game has been based off being able to freestyle, and he's relied on it a lot. And I think now defenses are starting to pick up on the tendencies and not over-pursue things and kind of stay in their homes a little bit more than they used to. So, but I don't think, just given the fact that the AFC isn't as difficult of a road to um, 
think that the Chiefs are going to get it together. Biggest reason is they're beating themselves more than other teams are beating them. You look at Baltimore's game. They pretty much had that game won, but those two late turnovers really helped swing the momentum in Baltimore's favor. Baltimore was able to score and then win the game off of it. You look at the Chargers game, three turnovers in the first half, and then Patrick Mahomes throws that late interception that really helps set the Chargers up well. At other than that, like, unless – there are really only two ways to beat the Chiefs. First of which, you got to blitz them and put pressure on Patrick Mahomes like the Bucks did in the Super Bowl. Or you have to have a situation where they make mistakes. And in these past two weeks, they've made mistakes that they have never really made in the regular season in the Mahomes era. And so I think that once they kind of get those kinks worked out, I think that the Chiefs are going to get back – together of course their defense is also a problem but then again their defense has been bad for years and so I think that it's just going to come down to they're going to stop making those mistakes that are going to cost them games they're going to get it back on track so honestly not only do I think that the Chiefs are going to make the playoffs but I still think they're going to win the AFC West I'm not sold on the Raiders being able to hold it down I think the Chargers definitely are the biggest threat to them right now but even still I'm not holding it and then the Broncos I mean 3-0 and and 3-0, and but we also have to look at the level of competition that they play. If they beat Baltimore, I feel like I'd be a bit more convinced. But, I mean, all the teams they played right now haven't won a game. So, you look at it like that. But I think the Chiefs are going to be fine. But, all right, let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery. And we're talking about somebody who may not be fine, and that is quarterback Carson Wentz. Now, just last week before uh, the game against the Titans, Jim Irsay, the Colts owner, who clearly has no qualms about saying what he wants about his quarterback, talked about Carson Wentz's choice to be unvaccinated and his injury history and said he has to stay healthy. There's been difficulties. Also, if you're not vaccinated, it makes it harder to depend on someone. Well, he's been playing so far this season and has not done much in this past game against the Titans, had 197 yards, I believe, with no touchdowns. And it seems that reports are coming out that he is on a pretty short leash in Indianapolis if they keep losing games. They could possibly even bring in a replacement, I'm sorry, by week five or six if the Colts are still still winless so believable or buffoonery Carson Wentz is on borrowed time in Indianapolis uh I believe so um just simply because first and foremost he hasn't shown that he can be healthy and that was something that plagued him with Philly and it's also reoccurring now with Indianapolis like yes he played in the game versus the Titans I commend him for that, but I, I watched that game, and there was a couple of games where he could have made plays with his legs that he normally would have made if he was healthy that had probably cost him the game. Like, it was a crucial third down, and he could have scrambled and got the yards to pick up the first down, but he stepped up a tad bit and threw the ball and overthrew the ball. I also think that the coach, they went into this maybe thinking like, okay, Let's see what we get. We probably think he's better. We can fix. We can help fix him. But he's not shown that so far. So I definitely think he's on borrowed time. Yeah, I think it's believable as well, especially because I mean, considering the carousel it's been since Andrew Luck retired, I can't say that they've had a season where they open the first three weeks without a win. Maybe I'm wrong, but at the very least, like somebody has gotten them a win, and so I think that. 
especially considering the red flags that come with Carson Wentz and also um, his, the size of his contract, maybe they could decide to go a younger route. Maybe they could give the reins to Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger or possibly even draft a quarterback um, coming up. I mean, either way, not right, not much right now has really been shown by Carson Wentz to show why he should still be around and why he should have the opportunity to be their starter. But luckily, it's a long season. It's only just now week four. But I can definitely see some question marks coming in if they still uh, have not won a game in the next few weeks. All right, speaking of being winless, let's talk to New York Jets and Zach Wilson, who has been sacked a lot through his first three weeks in the NFL. In fact, he has been sacked 15 times. While you would think the offensive line would take some accountability, um, offensive guard Greg Van Rotten for the Jets puts a little bit of the blame on Wilson and says he's got to learn this is the NFL. You've got to get the ball out. You can't hold on to it. So, believable or buffoonery, Zach Wilson deserves the blame for the Jets' offensive struggles? No, I think it's all parties are at fault. Like, yes, he does have to get the ball out, but you still have to block and protect your quarterback. So, I can't put the blame on one person. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too, especially because we have to recognize that, like, he can't control the run game. It's not his fault that not only is his offensive line not blocking for him, but his offensive line is also struggling to create rushing lanes for the running backs. I mean, when your run game can't go, you have to throw the ball 35-plus times a game. You have to have the ball in your quarterback's hands. Yeah, he may hold on to it a little bit long, but he doesn't really have a choice. He's trying to wait for things to develop, and that's not happening. So, no, I'm not putting it all on Zach Wilson. I think that their offensive line is – to blame and also just not really making running back more of a priority because we're still seeing the same struggles that they had last year carrying over to this year. All right, let's talk the Bears, who you alluded to it this past week, only had, uh, what, 66 technical yards of offense. No, it might have been less than that. Um, Justin Fields only had one net passing yard. He was sacked nine times. It was ugly. And per usual, analysts – Chimed in on that. Dan Orlowski of Get Up, which is on ESPN, said, The Chicago Bears should fire Matt Nagy today. Yesterday's game plan was the worst one I've ever seen in my life. Was either negligence or intentional. So, believable or buffoonery, the Bears have no choice but to fire Matt Nagy. I think they do. After the end of their season, I think that they should part ways. Um... It's funny that Matt Nagy was brought in as a quarterback whisperer, but all the quarterbacks that have played for him in Chicago, none of them have had successful seasons. Um, you know, Justin Fields, his first game wasn't, it was terrible. It was downright ugly. And I think that you have to bring in a play caller and a coach that's willing to play to the strengths of your quarterback. I don't think that Matt Nagy, at least in this particular game, he did. And so for that reason, if it continues, I definitely think they should get rid of yeah, I'm calling belief believable on that too. I think that not even just this year, but we've seen like their play calling has been rough. Um, we know that they do have talent on the outside with regards to Allen Robinson. Uh, Goodwin is definitely a deep threat. And then you look at Darnell Mooney, who really showed flashes. And they even have a solid run game with uh, David Montgomery. But it seems like 
the play call the plays that are called are not things that are helping their that are not aiding to their best player skill sets. If anything, it's making them look worse. And that's why I think a big reason why their offense has struggled. This is not me saying that Mitch Trubisky was a good quarterback by any means because he wasn't, but he was not the biggest reason why that offense was not working. It also plays a role into the play calling and just the lack of really adjustments that are being made. No adjustments were made on Sunday. Like, Poor, poor Justin Fields, man. He had no time. You can try to put some of the blame on him too, but I mean, of course you're going to get a bit scatterbrained if you keep getting hit. And then you get hit by the same person four and a half freaking times. Like, it's going to get exhausting. So, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, Matt Nagy, I think that the writing's on the wall. One could argue he should have been fired, but now is really showing he's got to go. All right, let's go ahead and talk the Pittsburgh Steelers. And some interesting comments by former Steeler Ryan Clark, who said, I took a lot of heat when the Steelers traded for Minka Fitzpatrick. I said they needed that pick to figure out a succession plan for Ben. They didn't and still don't have one. This is a total organizational failure. So if we all remember back in 2019, the Steelers traded for Minka Fitzpatrick for, for a first round pick. Um, so believable or buffoonery, the Steelers regret not getting his successor, Big Ben's successor, earlier. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, because the reality of it is, is they still have time to get his successor. And who's to say that first-round pick that they had, that they gave away from Mika Fitzpatrick, who's to say it would have been a, a successful pick at quarterback? Like, you know... The Bill Jets, they drafted Zach Wilson. Everyone, including me to a point, was thinking that Zach Wilson might actually be a good NFL quarterback. And so far, he's shown that he hasn't. I think that the way their brand of football, they can still win games. Like, if they manage the clock, they run the ball, they play so hard no defense. They can still win the game. They just won't be the same Pittsburgh Steelers in days of old where you will see Big Ben throwing the football all around the yard and it'll be this amazing offense. I think they need to revert back to their old ways of playing football, of running the ball, playing field position, clock management, and dominating, being a dominant defense. And they can still win games regardless of who's their quarterback. Yeah, I'm not – I'm going to also call before on that. I don't think they regret it because, I mean, they still made the playoffs. They went 11-0 and with Big Ben's old behind. But I do think it's probably something that they think about. I'm sure it is a question that they had because looking back at last year's quarterback class, we saw Joe Burrow, Justin uh, Herbert, Tua, Jalen Hurts. I'm forgetting people, but those were like the top drafted quarterbacks. I mean, I'm sure it would have been a conversation had they had that pick available. I'm sure they probably would have looked at quarterback, but it didn't fall that way. And I mean, it'd be one thing if Mika Fitzpatrick wasn't balling out for them. Mika Fitzpatrick has been their second best defensive player. That's saying quite a bit because they do have a really solid defense. So it's not like they're necessarily losing, losing style points for having Mika Fitzpatrick. So I'll call buffoonery on that, but I do think that they definitely should have prioritized it. Um, but I think that getting Minka was at least a fair enough trade. Continuing on conversation of quarterbacks, it seems like everybody is drinking the Kool-Aid of Matthew Stafford. But truth is, 
I've been a Lions apologist for years. I knew how good Matthew Stafford was. But apparently Bart Scott said he knew how good he was too. And he said, I've always said that Matthew Stafford was just as good as Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. Believable or buffoonery, Stafford has reached the level of A-Rod and Patrick Mahomes. I'm calling buffoonery, but I do love me some Matt. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery too my boy though and he looks damn good but I mean when you finally get competent weapons around you and good coaching they'll do that but no I'm not I'm not saying he's as good as Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes but he's still he's definitely showing his mantle all right last question we all know what next what Sunday night is it is the return of Tom Brady to Foxborough it's gonna be a hell of a game but apparently for Tom Brady, it's just another game. He said this um, when asked about the return. He said, I'm not going to necessarily reminisce. I don't think this is the moment for that. I have plenty of opportunities to reminisce about my football career. I'm not going to be thinking about 20 years of history. I'm going to be thinking about one night of football, a Sunday night game coming off a really tough loss. Believable or buffoonery, this Sunday night's game for Tom Brady is just that, another Sunday night game. No. We all know that Tom Brady is one of those individuals that if you get him any bit of bullets and more material, he can take it around with you. I think this is way, I'm not going to say way bigger, but I definitely think this is bigger than any this regular day of the game for Tom Brady. Yeah, no, I'm definitely calling buffoonery too. That's like, that's like when it Brett, if Brett Favre, when he was with the uh, Vikings, was like, oh, we played the Packers. I didn't even know. You knew you played the Packers. Peyton knew he was playing the Colts. Drew Brees knew when he was playing the Chargers, even if it wasn't the same time limit. Like, especially as a quarterback and a player who has put in so much time, like he said, 20 years with one organization. You can't just go play a team and just ignore all that history. You can't because you have way too memory, too many memories on that field, way too many memories with the people on that field with you, whether on the defense or the offense, special teams. Hell, even with um, Bill Belichick. Let's be honest, Robert Kraft is going to see him and probably cry. So, no, it's not just one game. I think that he's going to be even more motivated because they did just lose. But I think that it's an unrealistic thing that Tom Brady is not going to be trying to go even harder on Sunday because it is the Patriots and because they didn't put the stock in him that he feels like they should have. But, all right, before we make our week four game picks, just kind of recapping the Jags uh, Thursday night loss to the Cincinnati Bengals, 24-21. to 21. Ethan, did you get a chance to watch that game at all? I did. Well, it was a really good game. Um, shout I, like I said earlier, Trevor Lawrence actually had a pretty good game. The problem was his defense just towards the end could not stop anybody because they were up double digits going into halftime. I think it was 14-0. And then – the second half started, and freaking Joe Burrow and C.J. Azuma just could not be stopped. And it was just a really well-rounded game for the Bengals. And I think that the way that the Bengals played in the second half is why people are so excited to see what the Bengals' offense can do, and especially considering T. Higgins didn't even play. And they just look like a well-oiled machine, especially once their play calling changed. So it's, it's going to be fun watching the Bengals' offense, and I only use the word fun because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are there. But all right, let's go ahead and make game picks, starting off with the New York Giants being hosted by the New Orleans Saints. I got Saints. I got Saints. 
Chiefs begin their revenge tour starting off against the Philadelphia Eagles. I have Chiefs, and I think they're going to blow the Eagles out. Houston Texans versus the Buffalo Bills. I will say this. The Texans have found a way to be semi-competitive, but I still got Bills by 20. Yeah, I got Bills by at least double-digit Carolina Panthers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. I know that the Panthers are coming into this game undefeated, but I'm still going Cowboys. I'm going Panthers. I hope you're right. Minnesota Vikings versus the Cleveland Browns. I know that the Vikings right now are technically one and two, but they play much better than a one and two team. And with Greg Newsom, uh, rookie corner out, I got Vikings. I got Browns. I think Miles Garrett gonna stay hot. Gonna get another, get a minimum of two sets. I could definitely see that. Uh, Indianapolis Colts being hosted by the Miami Dolphins. I think the Colts get their first win of the season. I got Dolphins. I don't trust the Colts offense. That's fine. Yeah. I just don't trust – I don't trust the Dolphins' offense. That's really the thing. Both their defenses are cool, though. Uh, Tennessee Titans versus the New York Jets. The Titans better win this game by double digits. I'll say that. Uh, I got us. I don't know about the double digit part simply because we, we're without a lot of bodies. I mean, honestly, the only body that matters is Derrick Henry. Detroit Lions versus the Chicago Bears. I'm going Lions. I don't trust the Bears right now. I think that it's going to be a very low-scoring game. I know that Matt Nagy saying it's a game-time decision with regards to the whole quarterback is. I just don't have any faith in the Bears' offense right now. So I'm going to go Lions. The Lions have been competitive in every game they've played. I can see this being the one they actually pull out and win. All right, Washington is playing the Atlanta Falcons. I got Washington. They bounced back from that terrible loss against the Bills. I got Washington, too. All right, Los Angeles Rams take on the Arizona Cardinals. First NFC West matchup for both teams. I got Rams, and I don't think it's going to be that close. I got Rams. Same for the Seattle Seahawks and San Francisco 49ers. Their first matchup against a conference, I mean, division opponent. I got Seahawks getting back on track. I got San Fran. Green Bay Packers hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. On paper, this sounds like it should be a good game, but apparently Chase Claypool is out. And, yeah, he's their best receiver. I'm going Packers in a game that, once again, probably won't be that close. Oh, yeah, no, it was going to be Packers either way. All right, my Baltimore Ravens taking on the undefeated Denver Broncos. I think that ends on Sunday. I got Baltimore winning. Yeah, I got B more. All right, Sunday night football, the game. Everybody's anxious to see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the New England Patriots. This is either going to be Tom Brady is going to have one of the best games of his career and they're going to blow the Patriots out or somehow the Patriots are going to win. I'm going with the former. I got Bucks. I got Bucks in a blowout. I don't even, being honest, I don't even think it's going to be because of Tom Brady. I think it's just going to be because of their defense. Well, it's about time their defense does anything because their pass rush has been really quiet so far this season, and their secondary has done nothing but, like, get burnt and then get hurt. 
All right, Monday Night Football, another good game. The undefeated Las Vegas Raiders versus the Los Angeles Chargers. And I want to say this game is in Mexico. I want to say it is. Yeah, this is the Mexican game. Mexico game. I got Chargers. I got Chargers. All right, let's talk the players. We are looking at offensively, defensively, and our rookies. Um, offensively, I'm going with Derrick Henry. Like I just mentioned, yes, Julio is out. Yes, A.J. Brown is out. Once again, the only person in that offense that matters is Derrick Henry. If Derrick Henry does not go, it doesn't matter who you put out at wide receiver. This offense is not going to go. And against the Jets, I think that he should have a hell of a game. Uh, for me, I'm looking at Matt Jones. I think given the fact that he's the rookie quarterback, he's the current starter of the Patriots. He's under a lot of pressure, even though he doesn't believe so. He says he treats like any other game. But, bro, I just, like, in order for them to win, he's going to have to have a good game. So I'm looking at McDonald's. That's fair. Um, Defensively, I'm going to the Patriots, and I'm going to say Matt Judon who, when asked about facing Tom Brady, said, I know he's been in this building for a long time. What he's done can never be taken away, but it's not like we're afraid of what Tom Brady can do. Those are some fighting words, because we all know Tom Brady is a bad man when you give him bulletin board material. So I'm interested to see what Matt Judon does. I mean, we all know this, that if you get pressure on Tom Brady, you can slow him up a lot. The Patriots are going to have to do that, and I'm interested to see what Bill Belichick dials up. For me, I'm looking at the San Francisco 49ers secondary. Yes, we know that it's not great, but they are playing a divisional rival in Seattle, and Seattle has DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. If they are going to win the game, you're going to have to slow one of the two, if not both of those two guys down. I feel that. All right, rookie of the week. This is going to be a first-timer. I'm saying Rashad Bateman who was activated off IR, participated in his first practice in a couple of months. So I'm excited to see. Everybody talks about Baltimore doesn't have any receivers. Well, to counteract that, they drafted Rashad Bateman. I'm excited to see what he does this week. So, yeah, that's the rookie I'm watching. Oh, for me, I am watching, I'm watching our rookie quarterbacks. I just want to see one rookie quarterback have a good game. I don't know who it's going to be. I'm also trying to get caught up in the carousel because they all have been bad. So I just want one of them do good. Yeah, because it has all been terrible. And in terms of who I'm calling out, I'm saying the Baltimore Ravens. Look, guys, we're 2-1. and one, But like I said, this past game was real close, unnecessarily close. I don't want stress like that. I know we got the greatest kicker of all time, but I don't need that stress in my life. So how about we just go in there, handle our business, and come out with the dub? I am calling out Tennessee Titans for everything that you just said. Like, don't make this game plus with the Jets, because honestly, the game versus the Coast this past week was supposed to have been a blowout well before the middle of the, I want to say, fourth quarter, when we actually kind of turned stuff around. That's all we can ask for. But all right, let's move on to the NBA. And before we get to some league news, it's fantasy basketball season. The season officially starts in a little over two weeks. 
That means it's our time to start drafting fantasy basketball seasons, and we got your back. Our fantasy football guide will be coming out soon, so be on the lookout for that cheap plug. But all right, let's take things out to Denver, who they spent quite a bit of money from giving uh, Aaron Gordon a nice contract to now Michael Porter Jr., who has just signed a five-year max extension worth up to $207 million. Off the rip, it's a $172 million deal, but has the chance to elevate by $35 million with extension with um, incentives. As of right now, the last season he played in 61 games, the most of his career, averaged 19 points per game, 7.3 rebounds per game, shot 44.5% from three-point. Good move or bad move by the Nuggets? Did they overpay Michael Porter or was it just right? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that kind of looking at it for what he can be as opposed to what he is, because like you said, right now he's not necessarily somebody who I would think max extension, but tis what it is. Uh, Yeah, I think that especially once he can really play a full season and be healthy, the sky is really the limit for this kid, especially because when you look at Denver, there's so many other uh, players that you have to take account for. It's only going to create more opportunities for him, whereas it be Nikola Jokic, who was the reigning MVP, Jamal Murray, who showed some great flashes before tearing his ACL. I mean, hell, even Aaron Gordon can put up some solid points for you, and then Will Barton coming off the bench. So overall, the Nuggets roster is in a really good spot right now, and I think that Michael Porter Jr. is really going to benefit from that, so I get it. Talking about benefiting from being in a good spot, Russell Russell Westbrook, who had that dramatic draft night trade to the Los Angeles Lakers from the Washington Wizards. Well, Wizards general manager Tommy Shepard talked about how this trade went down and said, Russell actually never asked to move on. He just said, if I can get to the Lakers, that'd be something I would love to do. If not, I'll be here. I said, what about the Clippers? He said, hell no. So, of course, right now, we're looking at it from the perspective of the Lakers are a veteran team, have a really strong opportunity to get a ring. But let's say the Lakers don't get a ring. Do you think that Russ will regret not staying in Washington? No. I think that his time in Washington was up. I think that he served his purpose, which was being a mentor to Bradley Bill and helping build that relationship and um, helping that development in Bradley Bill. But I don't think regardless of Yeah, I mean, he had a standout year last year, and they still barely made it. And I don't think he'll regret it either, just because, like you said, like in L.A., he has an opportunity to really win something, not to mention he gets to come back home. 
and we know he's an LA boy. He's done a lot of uh, philip philanthropic work in the uh, South Central area. So it's really dope that he will be able to be back home, be closer to his family. And plus, I mean, he went to UCLA as well, so it's kind of like a bit of a homecoming. So I don't think he'll regret it either. While I did have fun watching Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook play together, I think I agree with you. I don't think that there was really much further that Westbrook and the Wizards could go. I don't think that the heights for them really would have been that much higher. All right, so keeping it on the East Coast, let's talk Philly. You will know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. Philadelphia may have some of the most ruthless fans of any sports town. And honestly, it can definitely be a polarizing place to play. Um, With all the drama with Ben Simmons and how he's pretty much made it known he does not want to come back, it has kind of sparked the conversation about Philadelphia and what it's like to play there. Joel Embiid talked about playing in Philly and talked about the fans and said, the fans have the right to act the way they want to. Personally, I would not like to be in another city. Only fair to them to be pissed off when we lose. They work hard for the money they make. And then Stephen A. Smith, of course, talked about it and compared Ben Simmons to AI. He said, I think it's pretty weak. Allen Iverson didn't run from Philadelphia. He was a warrior. Also, even commending Philadelphia even more, saying, I couldn't find three better places in America to be a star than in the city of Philadelphia. So, Ethan, in your opinion, let's say you are a star athlete. Do you want to play in Philly? Is Philly a place where you would want to play? Uh, no. Me personally, no. If I'm a star athlete, my first choice is I would want to play home for my hometown fans. Um, Philly, I can rock with Philly, but I think just given the nature of their fans and my personality, I don't think it would work because I'm one of those, like, if I were a professional athlete, I would be like Russell Westbrook to where it's like, I would say what I want to say. I wouldn't hold back. Like, if a fan or somebody says I suck, I would have something to say back to them and it could go viral. So, like, that would be the only reason why because I know if I would if I played for a team in Philly, I could probably get a lot of bad publicity by going back and forth with fans. So, I'd rather just not do it. Yeah, and I mean, at the very least, you'll never be bored in Philly. Um, I think that in terms of basketball fans, I think Philly is definitely more toxic to its own players as opposed to you'll see fans like in Utah who are just crappy to everybody. And so I think that to be in Philly, it takes you. It takes a lot of mental toughness. Not to say that being a professional athlete, you don't have to have it, but in Philly, like you are going to get clowned and bashed by everybody. And if you don't do your job, they're going to let you know about it. And I think that you have to be a player who, who I guess in the words of Stephen A, you have to kind of be a warrior. Or at least you have to be able to drown it out to where it's not going to affect you. Because the noise is going to be there. And as we can see, it affected Ben Simmons. And truthfully, I get it. I mean, it's clear that nobody here really wants me here. So why would I stay? So in terms of it being that desirable, I would say no. I don't I wouldn't say that I see Philly as a top three place to be a star. I mean, LA and New York are definitely ahead of them. I'd also say Dallas is another great place to be a star, especially playing football. Um, Chicago is another really good one. Miami. A lot of other places I'd say before Philly, mainly just because of the toxicity. 
of the environment. But all right, let's play believable or buffoonery. The NBA has really thrown down the gauntlet with regards to players and their unvaccinated status. So much so uh, that an NBA spokesman, uh, Mike Bass, made the announcement that any player who elects not to comply with the local vaccination mandates will not be paid for the games that they miss. In addition to that, of some other protocols that have been in place are no dining indoors in same room as other players, six feet of distance in team meetings, distant locker rooms, and remain at the residence or hotel and are they're not allowed to go to any other public venues. So believable or buffoonery, the NBA is going overboard with restrictions for unvaccinated players. mostly agree with the restrictions especially the one that like the games that you miss you can't you're not getting paid I think that especially for teams like the Warriors or the Nets or have teams that's like if you're not vaccinated you can't even come to the building that's half the games that's going to put a hurting on your wallet even if you're making what 20 mil you only going to see 10 mil because that's half your deal and that's not even including playoffs and everything so yeah I think that I think the restrictions are necessary, especially like those like that. The one about not being able to really go out because you just don't know. And while things are starting to open up more and, you know, people are allowed into games and all that jazz, that doesn't mean like COVID has just magically gone away. And while I do respect athletes' decisions not to get the vaccine, I also think that, okay, you're not going to get it, but... What you got to understand is this train is taking off with or without you, regardless of who you are. And so if you choose to not get vaccinated, we are not going to stop a game for you. We are not going to do another uh, bubble. We're not doing that again. We're not going to shut down just because you want to make you didn't really care. And so I do understand the restrictions. And I think that it's it's definitely going to end up having an effect. Uh, but we just talked about Philly. So let's talk about Joel Embiid, you know, the star who is staying in Philly, who at the media day talked about his season last year and said, I was pretty okay last year. I know I can be way better than I was last year. And just for those of you who forgot, he finished second in MVP voting. And Doc Rivers has even given Joel credit in saying that he's in even better shape now. So in believable or buffoonery, 
Joel Embiid is bound to have a huge 2021 season. Unbelievable. A lot of people might not remember, but before he got injured, he was the uh, front runner for MVP last season. That he was. So, yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well, especially because without Ben Simmons there, the ball is going to continue to roll through him. And it's going to be pretty interesting to see how that all shakes out. I mean, sure, a trade is going to happen at some point. But hopefully, especially if they're able to get somebody who can also is going to be that shooter and can help it spread the floor, it's only going to work wonders. But continuing on talking about Philly, it's clear that um, some of Ben Simmons' comments rubbed him the wrong way. The report about him feeling like he didn't want to play with uh, Joel Embiid really seemed to rub Embiid the wrong way, especially because Ben Simmons said he wants the offense to run through him. He wants the ball in his hand. To which Embiid said this, our teams have always been built around his needs, so it's kind of surprising to see. Ever since, even going back to the reason we got rid of Jimmy, which I still think was a mistake, just to make sure he needed the ball in his hands. Believable or refrigerant, had the 76ers kept Jimmy Butler, they would have a ring by now. Uh, I'm not going to say they would, just simply because the NBA is just a weird place, but I definitely would say if they would have kept Jimmy, I think their chances I would agree with that because I mean when they had Jimmy they got pretty close made to the Eastern Conference Finals like they looked really good like you mentioned the NBA is very weird and you never know what could happen but I think that they at least would have had a much better shot if Jimmy Butler was on the roster like if you put Jimmy Butler on the roster last year I mean well not last year but this past season they I still feel like they would have been able to beat the Hawks even with Ben Simmons being full of crap, I think that, if anything, Jimmy Butler would put his foot in his behind or he would just be like, screw it. If you don't want to take the shots, I'll take the shots. And they'll kind of get that aggression back. So I do think that Jimmy would have definitely helped their chances. Speaking of title chances, let's talk about Damian Lillard, who was a hot topic in the trade conversations. But it looks that as of right now, he's going to be staying put. And he talked about that decision and he said, at the end of the season, I wanted to see our roster improve. We had our conversations about what that might look like. I've I come into the season with faith that that will happen. We've done things that I like. I didn't expect us to go out there and get Kevin Durant all of a sudden. But the conversations that we've had are genuine and that we're feeling like we're moving in the right direction. And that's what I feel. He also talked about the potential of a small market win in the championship and said that after watching the Milwaukee Bucks do it, that he was more convinced that he could do it. He said, I was sitting there and I was like, it can really be done. Uh, that, so, believable or buffoonery. Damian Lillard truly believes that this roster can win a ring. Yeah, I'm also calling buffoonery. I think that while the Bucks winning a ring definitely probably like was a nice pat on the back for um, small market teams, they had Giannis, and Giannis was went out of control 
for much of the playoffs, particularly in the finals. And while we know Damian Lillard is great, aside from even C.J. McCollum, you have to ask the question of what other role players on that team can help out Damian Lillard the way that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, and hell, you can even throw in P.J. Tucker for some of the defensive things he did in Bobby Portis. Who on the Trailblazers roster could you really say would help Dame make a push for a ring? And like I said, outside of C.J. McCollum, I really don't have anybody who I would say that can make that happen. And so I know that he was, you know, playing coy, saying I didn't think we'd get Kevin Durant. One could argue that maybe their roster now is worse than it was last year. So I'm not sold. I'm interested to see what Chauncey Billups does in that role, though, because I like Chauncey Billups a lot, and I hope that he has success. But in terms of getting a ring, I don't see that happening for Dame in Portland. Uh, talking about bringing a ring to an important team, that's what Kawhi Leonard wants to do. He talked in the media day. He talked about being committed to the Clippers and said, "I'm here. I'm here to be a Clipper. I'm not going to another team. I'm here for the long run." So believable or buffoonery, Kawhi Leonard will retire as a Los Angeles Clipper. I'm calling buffoonery simply because you never know what athletes, especially in the NBA. Like it's been numerous of times where people say, "I want to." I'll say buffoonery as well, mainly because Kawhi is very unpredictable. He's not somebody because, like, you and I both thought that he would probably end up leaving this offseason to go somewhere. Um, as of right now, I mean, sure, for the short term, it's cool because, I mean, he is a L.A. kid, but I don't know. Like, with, like I said, with Kawhi, it's weird because I could see him retiring as a Clipper, but I could also see him like, nah, I'm, I want to go. I don't know where he'd go but I could still see him trying to leave and maybe make one more playoff push. All right, last piece of believable for board buffoonery before we uh, move on to my Extreme Rules recap. We got to talk Kyrie Irving. Last week we talked about it with Ben um, Andrew Wiggins, if the Warriors should trade him. And now the same question goes to Kyrie Irving, who also is playing in a city where to enter the stadium you have to get vaccinated, and he doesn't want to. Um and, of course, Stephen A. gave his opinion and said, trade him. If he ain't going to take the vaccine, he can't play half your home games. However, reports are also coming out that apparently Kyrie Irving has virtually zero trade value to other NBA teams due to his unpredictability. So, believable or buffoonery, Kyrie Irving has no trade value. Um, I I mean, because even though, like, not every arena is saying you have to be vaccinated to play, I mean, even still, like, that's going to be a tough sell. 
And it's a tough sell already to have a player who's not vaccinated. And then add on top of that a player like Kyrie Irving who is unpredictable. In one minute, we see him drop 27, have a hell of a season. In the other ones, you think he he goes off the grid and may retire. With Kyrie, it's just so hard to figure out what he's going to do next. And I can see why that's kind of frustrating for teams and why they may not want to take the chance on him. Like, yeah, you're incredibly talented, but do we want to deal with the potential baggage that comes with having you on our roster? So I I find it believable, too. I mean, if it was just a question of talent, then I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would make that move. But if we're talking purely everything, whether it be the vaccine, whether it be the unpredictability, whether it be the past locker room stuff, I don't know. So I could see teams definitely having some trepidation with regards to bringing him in. All right, everybody, it's time to move on to the WWE with my recap of Extreme Rules, which, fun fact... I already said it last week, but I'm going to say it again. It was my first live pay-per-view that I've ever been to, and I had a jolly good time. So let's talk about it. Uh, starting things off with the kickoff show, Liv Morgan gets revenge against Carmella and wins on the kickoff show. The Fugees, a.k.a. the New Day, settled the score against AJ Almost and Bobby Lashley to win the six-man tag. The Three Profits are once again taken to... The Uso Penitentiary with another strong tag titles defense. Uh, Lily cost Alexa Bliss the match, but Charlotte stays on top. Uh, Damon Priest retains, but it's clear that in Columbus, Jeff Hardy is still the people's champ. Sasha Banks interferes in the SmackDown Women's Championship, meaning that a hell of a triple threat is coming. And Roman Reigns overcomes the Demon's Rage to retain. Um, I went 6-1. and one. Probably should have picked... Bianca in hindsight just because it's not like she was going to win that match clean um but it's all good you live and you learn uh my favorite match was the universal championship match I mean seeing demon Finn is already pretty cool and I think that just one it was a pretty good match two it actually you know was not just a generic match which a lot of the matches on the card were and then three I mean who doesn't want to see the tribal chief in person? Like, we can say what you will about the WWE right now, but the tribal chief, a.k.a. Roman Reigns, is really cool. And I think one of the best things in wrestling today, regardless of which brand or company we're talking about. So it was really a really nice, well-paced match. And low-key, I thought could have went a little bit longer. But, I mean, it kept both competitors clean and looking – I'm not clean, but looked them, kept them looking healthy and um, strong. So – I understand why they did it. My favorite moment also comes from this match when Roman Reigns threw, <laughs> threw Demon Finn into the crowd and then put out his hand and Paul Heyman handed him a mask. I don't know what I expected Paul Heyman to give him, but the fact that it was a mask was uber funny to me. And it was just, it was a highlight of an already pretty good night. Um, who increased their stock, I would say the bloodline. Roman retains, the Uso retain, Usos retain. I mean, it's a beautiful night for the um, for the bloodline, and both had really strong performances and also really good matches. In terms of decreased stock, I would just say Becky Lynch just because she did win, but she didn't win clean. And with Sasha coming back, it's going to be another person breathing down her throat, and I'm really interested to see how that whole dynamic goes, especially with what's going on so far with the um, with the draft. Kind of sad because, you know, I do love me some uh, 
some Charlotte, and so it's going to kind of suck missing her for the next few weeks because of work. But it's all good. We'll miss to see how it works out. But, yeah, at this point, I would probably say Becky lost some stock on that. Um, my one booking decision was I would have made the Usos versus Three Profits in Extreme Rules match, mainly because it's clear that the storyline is there. I mean, Montez did call them bitches before. He got sent through a table on that Friday before. This would be the perfect setup to, I don't know, maybe have it be a Extreme Rules match. Let them... They can put his money where his mouth is. It was a great traditional match, but I think that making it more extreme rules would really help to kind of benefit this story and kind of put the nail in the coffin. Um, As far as my biggest WTF moment was Sasha Banks returning. Honestly, I'm not used to seeing her wear like a one piece. So when I saw somebody run into the ring with like long straight hair, honest to God, I thought it was Zelina Vega. But when I saw it was Sasha, I was like, oh, cool, Sasha's here. But yeah, I wasn't expecting it. I thought maybe she'd come back after the draft, but... I'm not mad at it. I know we didn't get Brock Lesnar coming back, but truthfully, I prefer Sasha coming back anyway. And overall, I give this show a B. It was a very solid card. Sure, with no title changes, but I mean, it didn't really need any. I think that it just did what it needed to do to push storylines. Yes, it should have been more extreme rules matches or at least matches with a stipulation. But on the whole, it was a good time. I had a good time. And it was a very nice introduction to going to wrestling pay-per-views. And that is our show. Thank you guys so much. Uh, please be sure to continue to support. Check out thexreport.net. I repeat, thexreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow X Report writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Also, um, I know we talk about it on the show, but basketball fans, please be sure to stay tuned and keep up. I promise our um, basketball, fantasy basketball league um, show guide is going to be coming up soon. So be on the lookout for that. The season will be here before we know it. So stay tuned. We got a lot of great content coming for you guys. Hope you guys continue to enjoy, continue to support. I appreciate you. And most importantly, we'll see you all next time.